Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I am your host, Donnie Mae. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team-based model approach to athletic performance, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. Hello and welcome back to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Mabe, and we have got a fire episode for you this month. It is September, and Coach Joe Krosick, our trusty co-host, is in the studio again. Coach Joe, what's happening? What's going on, Coach? Coach, you excited about this fall? I'm excited about this fall. It's Bama week. I'm excited to play Bama. We're unfortunately we're not home again. We're on the road, so I, I won't be at the game. Um, it was pretty hype here last year, but I'm thinking this time we we get some payback. Coach, I like it. I'm, I'm uh, I like your mojo. You know what a better <laughs> uh, attitude and spirit to have than to have our guest today. I want to introduce our guest briefly for uh, Bama Week. None other than our own Sam Contorno, uh, Associate Director of Applied Sports Science. Welcome, Sam. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you guys. Coach, we are so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for making time. Um, you ready for Bama? Oh, I'm always ready. Always ready. Going to Tuscaloosa. Hopefully it'll be uh, hopefully it'll be a really good game like it was last year. Hopefully we come out on the top end this time. Oh, absolutely. But, I'm, uh, I'm so know, excited for that SEC atmosphere. I know. I know I'm excited. I, I played in SEC growing up, so I'm excited. Um, as we kick off the show, uh, Sam, you're coming out of the summer. Right, football season is here. Uh, what have you been up to? You know, you came from Maryland. I think you're six months now mm-hmm. here at the University of Texas. Uh, big transition coming from University of Maryland with Ryan Davis and their football program. Talk about your summer prep, kind of what you guys have been up to there, and what's a day in the life for Sam like? Give us a little insight. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think you know. It's been funny because I was at Stanford for so long, for five years, and the last two years I've switched jobs two years in a row. So those first six months, like you were just trying to figure out the lay of the land. You're trying to figure out how all the processes work, where all the new catapult units are, what tech you have, what sports science has worked for a team in the past. So it's the first six months have been crazy, but it's awesome to say like, what, how has Texas football been utilizing sports science? How can I come in? How can I improve some of the processes? And like, where can we grow from there? Um, So, you know, a a day in the life of my summer, um, I'd say that I spend a lot of time planning all the logistics of the testing that we're going to do for the day. So there's been a lot of like planning that goes into every single day. I still have to act like a strength coach in some ways. I have to, you know, see what the run or the practice is going to be for the day. I have to make sure I'm on the same page with strength and conditioning about what we're doing, what the adaptation is, make sure I'm on the same page about what testing I want to do for the day. I'm constantly in Donald, our head athletic trainer's office, driving him insane about who's in, who's out for the day, what can they do. I have to be like on my P's and Q's with all parts of the department, whether it's athletic training, strength and conditioning, football coaching, to make sure that we're putting our guys in the most successful position every day. So I feel like I'm just managing the the chaos, which I love. Coach Joe, the thing I love about Sam, um, you know, just briefly met her. If you look at her, and she's going to get into some of her resume here as we go, but just has a ton of like practical experience, obviously coming out of the performance industry, athletic performance or strength conditioning. And you've worked with all these different, you know, 
individuals and support groups that surround an athlete. So you know and understand kind of what they're dealing with, the pressures, the actual work, the frustrations, the highs and the lows. And so I think that, to, in my opinion, Coach Joe, it gives her an edge over a lot of practitioners. So she has a lot of practical advice or, or experience. So cool. Yeah, for yeah. sure. They say you have to speak a lot of languages to be in sports science. And I think there was a paper that came out where it talks about having like two different backgrounds to be in sports science. And I also did nutrition for a little bit at Stanford, which that was unexpected, but super valuable. So I can, you know, sit down with our dietitian and kind of speak to him about what he needs on a little bit more of a personal level. Same thing with strength and conditioning. And I think that makes for a good yes. life. People know I'm on their, I'm in their corner. Such a, uh, just one thing I remember 2011, 12, I was touring the, the country, just looking at different weight rooms and this one specific university Pretty big university. I don't want to say their name just to be confidential, but they had they were pioneering this sports science kind of like staff and laboratory, and it put all this money into it. Well, about a year, year and a half later, I came back, and they had pretty much bought all this technology, had this built this huge room and lab. They had to shut it down because the sport coaches wouldn't work with this individual, and I think they were from overseas or something. And to your point, Sam. They didn't speak the language of the sport coach in America. And I think, again, you know, uh, I know Brett Bartholomew always talks about athlete buy-in. I believe in our profession, you've got to get, get head coach buy-in first, which is what I hear you saying. Would that be accurate? Yeah, I think I think there's two ways to look at it, too. Like, if you get the – it's all about creating a language. You're exactly right. Like, if you can get the whole department to speak the same language, that's how you're going to be the best in, in sports science because right. everybody – understands the same thing. And I think it, it works a little bit both ways, right? If you can get the athletes to buy in and they talk about it, it's going to make your football coaches have to listen because they're going to hear the kids talking about it. Mm -hmm. So I think like if you get athlete buy-in and then if you can speak to football coaches, like you have to understand that they're busy. They just want the cliff notes. They want what they need to know to execute. Like they've said they're football coaches first. And so if I can give them something concise and I can get their buy-in, then that's when you can start to give them more things. And same thing with the athletes. Like when you get that dual buy-in, then then your money. Then I've always uh, one of my favorite quotes, uh, Coach Joe and Sam is, um, it's kind of a metaphor, right? It's like there's two types of change in any organization, right? There's revolutionary change, which is the example I used at this big university. They try to just change everything. But then there's evolutionary change. And if you think about an iceberg, if you've ever, I've watched some of those, you know, shows where they like measure how much an iceberg moves in a year. And it's very minuscule. And, you know, I think to your point, Sam, and Joe, you've seen this, you're better off doing small, minuscule evolutionary changes over time versus making this flip the apple cart upside down. Everybody's mad and nobody knows the language we're speaking and we're, we don't know what our objectives are and you know, and everybody's pushing back and skepticism and distrust. Uh, and to your point, man, it takes time to to get that to build trust and make sure everybody's hearing the same language. So that's huge. Yeah, I was just saying. I think it's it's like a patient communication. I, I don't think many people in this industry have too many issues communicating because everyone's very enthusiastic. It's kind of a very extroverted type of job in in all fields of it. You know, but like. Um, something when I, when I first got on here, everyone was like, Hey, just, just take it slow, take it easy. Like talk to everybody, get to know them first and then start kind of like you were saying, um, little bit by little bit, start kind of, you know, letting your ideas out and things like that. Cause I think, you know, when if you just come on too strong, people just shut down, you know, and it, 
it's not a good start. So, yeah, I think you just got to be a little patient with it. You're going to laugh at this one, but I think my first day, Tori told me, don't be a grenade. And I was like, oh, yeah. you're right. Because I have the, I definitely have the personality to come in and be like, let's blow everything up and start over. And he's like, don't be a grenade, Sam. <laughs> don't you like just and I love that. clear-cut, candid, concise communication, just to the point, like, don't don't blow stuff I up. I love it. He knew me. He knew me when he right. hired me. And he's like, it. all right, That's we're going to take this That's, slow. I'm like, you're right, you're right, you're right. That's great awareness. Um, well, Sam, you're at Texas now. So let's just take a moment, take us back to the beginning. Why did you get into sports science? That's a great question. Um you know, I definitely have an untraditional strength and conditioning path as it is. Um, I got into this field in 2017. I was 26 years old when I did my first internship. So I think one thing I was probably, you know, mature in the sense that I had to make that decision to quit my job, move from Connecticut to California and like do an unpaid internship. So I think going into this, I I knew that I wanted to be successful in this industry and that I was going to do whatever that took. Um, I did my first internship at UCLA Olympics. So I wasn't even in football yet. And I actually had a friend at the time who got UCLA's like first sports science GA position. Mm -hmm. And I remember like he told me about the interview and what he did. And I was like, that sounds so lame. Like what sports science? Like you loser. And so, <laughs> and so right. this was in like 2017. So I had, I had no exposure to any of this tech. And then I got into strength and conditioning. I got into football strength and conditioning 2017. I started at Stanford and I, we didn't have any tech. Um, you know, we had lasers and a scale and that was about it. But everything was very well thought out and planned. And, you know, you can old school add yardage and reps up. And that was our sports science. Um, but there have been like a few like kind of defining moments like across my career that have made me realize the need for sports science. I think um, the first one, I was doing the nutrition in 2019. Um, I have my master's in nutrition and our dietitian had quit. And so it was like we were kind of stuck going into the 2020 or uh, 2019 off season. So Shannon Turley was like, Sam, you have your background in this. Like you create our curriculum for nutrition. And I was like, OK. And so that was like the first time I really got to put together my own program. I got to like, you know, s present things to the team. So I had I had like my own baby that I was presenting and it was so much fun. But, you know, I had noticed that you know, how are we tracking the body weight data? I was like, could I do a better job tracking the body weight data and looking at week to week changes and looking at changes over the weekend and something super basic like that. Like, I think I always say like body weights are sports science data. And we might as an industry not know how to like even just store those appropriately. And the amount of insight you can find from that, that's sports science. So I remember, you know, doing that and, and being like, oh, this analytics thing's like kind of cool. And it just so happened that in 2019, in season, um, we started a wellness survey and we got Atho shorts, which I know, I think Texas had the Atho shorts, which isn't even a company anymore. Um, and so they're like, hey, Sam, like, you're kind of nerdy. You're, you've been making cool Excel sheets. Like, why don't you take this stuff? And I was like, okay, I will. And I think it was the best transition to sports science for me because it went horribly. It was terrible. The way we rolled out the wellness survey was terrible. The way we had the athletes fill it out, I spent all of my day just like texting guys to make them fill it out and chasing them around and, you know, making these like stupid pivot table reports. And I realized that we had got this call it piece of tech or data source without like understanding what the problem actually was that we were trying to solve. We just did it because we thought that's what we were supposed to do. 
Same thing with the Athos shorts. We had these shorts, but we didn't know what the point of them was. Yeah. It wasn't a GPS unit. We wanted, we really wanted GPS units, but instead we ended up with EMG shorts and a wellness survey. And so me, for me, it was amazing to see like, okay, like this did not work the way we wanted it. This is the organizational problem we have. What is the tech that we need to like solve that organizational problem? It's actually probably Catapult. So then in 2020, we went out and got Catapult. And again, they were like, Sam, you're a nerd. Like, you take Catapult. Like, you do that. And I'll say across my whole career, I've been very lucky with my bosses who have let me just roll with things when I come up with ideas. All of them. I have to appreciate all of them for that. Probably like unchecked sometimes, but they're like, you know what, Sam? Like, we trust that you're going to, we trust that you're going to research this. So we're going to stay out of your way. Um, And so 2020, we really built like, for year one, like I remember calling Catapult. They're like, what are you guys doing with Catapult data year one? I'm like, oh no, I found, I made this cool graph. How does this look? They're like, what did you even make this on? I'm like, mm. so it sort of spiraled from there. And it wasn't until starting 2021, I had gotten some other offers from some other schools as like a strength coach, sports scientist. And I was like, you know, it'll take the perfect opportunity for me to leave because I was getting to that point where I was sick of coaching bench press. Honestly, I was like, I have I have better things I could be doing with my time than watching you guys bench press. Like, I need to go do something at the computer. And that's when I think after five years of being a football strength and conditioning coach, you're like, I can move on from this. Like, you could like, I could feel myself not like being like pulled towards my office to go do something else. Um, and that's when Marilyn came along. I was not looking for a job. I had actually just signed a lease in California. I bought a couch. I was like, we're going to stay here another year. I'll pay this overpriced rent for another for a year and we'll be good and I just happened to talk to someone who was like hey you know Ryan Davis and Marilyn have this job open like you two should talk and like we had one phone conversation I was like okay this might be the next best step for me because it was a program that had a lot of tech and was really interested in having someone come in and use all that tech and they were super open to like what I wanted to do with it and it just felt like the next step from like all right how do I go from strength and conditioning to sports science this seems like the perfect transition. And so it was an awesome year there. I mean, I'll say like RD, same thing, like let me do what I wanted, like had to reel me back in a few times, which he was good at doing um, because I can be a grenade from time to time. Um, But it was really cool because I finally got to build my own program. I had to build my own AMS. We didn't have SmarterBase, so I built it all in Power BI. I got to learn a lot of like those, like, you know, just hardships of doing that year one, built an internship program. And then, you know, again, wasn't planning on leaving. And Tori Becton calls me and he's like, hey, do you want to come to Texas? And I was like, yes. Yes, I do. That's so, incredible. Yeah, That's it's incredible. been it's been fun. I'm really excited to not move next year and to be in year two of somewhere and not ship my couch. I'm throwing it out next time I move. <laughs> I'm over it. I don't blame you. So. Well, you, you kind of alluded to some of the tech you've dealt with along the way and some of the struggles you went through. I think a lot of it, um, even today, is used for like recruiting purposes or things like that. So, uh, one of my biggest questions for you is, you know, what, what's what's some good tech out there? What's some bad? Like, what what do you think is useful? What do you think is not useful? I mean, kind of, you know, don't don't get PC on me. I want to hear the, <laughs> Give us the deal, Sam. I want to know what's garbage and what's not. Yeah. So I hate every single piece of technology I have. Um, I think that's like if a sports scientist tells me they don't hate all of their tech, like I don't believe them because I hate it all. I think Bluetooth is the worst invention in the entire world because it makes my day a headache like more than 
like 95% of the time. Um, so I think really like I always joke if I had to go sport, start a sports science department, I had nothing. I would buy lasers and I'd buy a scale. And I think you could do like 90% of what you need to do with lasers and a scale. Like if you want to get really fancy, get a jump mat. Like, And you could run a, a fully functioning sports science department. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, do I think that this tech helps us ask better questions and find better information? Absolutely. Do me and the 1080 have an absolute love-hate relationship? Absolutely. Some days I'm like, this is the coolest product I've ever seen. Some days I'm like, I'm going to throw it off of my car going down the highway. But I think that's like on the practitioner to be able to figure out, okay, like what are your what are your program needs? Like everyone hates Catapult. We all hate Catapult. It drives us crazy. But do I need to know how much volume my wide receivers are running? I do. So like I need it. Could I periodize practice without Catapult and just use time and mm-hmm. practice periods? I ca- I could. But will I have those individual differences? Probably not. So I do need it. Um, force plates. Again, love, hate the force plates. I've tried every single test on the force plates. Travis is going to kill me if I do one more different test on the force plate. But that's fine. Um, that's how you like. I think that's how you you can't get good at using tech or understanding what tech you need unless you play with it and you break it because every tech is going to have some issue to it. There's going to be some, you know, standard error that's a little bit different for a 1080 top speed versus a catapult top speed for a laser top speed. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be an expert at whatever tech you do decide to use so you know its limitations, but then you also know how to most effectively use it for your program. So I hate all of it, Um, but what do I... I use catapult all the time. I use force plates all the time. Nordboard and I have a love-hate relationship where I've, you know, it's a hamstring test that you can't do if your knee hurts. So there's limitations to it. So I've stopped doing the Nordic and I do the isoprone for that reason. Um, You know, I had 1080s at Maryland. My goal is to get one again here. I loved it for, you know, some of the cool sprint stuff you could use for it. But, you know, is some of the fancy tech that we're using for sprinting, like even too much for a football team when like, really, we just need to make sure you're doing other you know, you're getting certain adaptations. Like, I think we we get tech, we dive way too far into it, and then we almost can't get ourselves out because we've become, like, dependent on these results or these tests when, like, really it's, like, it all comes down to the question of what you actually need. Yeah, I do hear there's one thing in there, kind of the layers I would like to dig into a mm-hmm. little deeper there. So think about, because I'm obviously a strength conditioning coach. Um, I've been for years and have worked enough with sports science with Travis and his team, with yourself, um, to know that it can get really cumbersome. Mm-hmm. And so to your point earlier in this conversation, when you're dealing with athletes, and I've seen this up close, Joe, you've seen it as well in the weight room, compliance versus non-compliance. So my question to you, what are some hacks mm-hmm. that you've kind of learned, simple things that make those athletes be a little more compliant, or coaches even, I think? And it may be as simple as like making things more seamless. Anyway, speak into that for a second. Yeah, I think that's been, that's probably my favorite part of sports science. And that when you come into a new program, you have to build buy-in really, really quickly, especially because you're the person yelling at them about wearing the catapult vests. So they have to trust me. So every tech we introduced to these guys, or like when I first got there, I did a five-minute talk with the team on every single piece of tech. 
um, like the first day, like one of the freshmen's like, what's what's in this vest anyway? I'm like, oh, you guys don't know what catapult is. So I did like a five minute presentation and it's super basic. I had like one slide with like two big pictures on it. I'm like, it does this and it does this. They're like, okay, so now if you're educating the athletes, they're starting to understand what the purpose of the tech is. The other thing is we post everything. So everything they do, speeds, jumps, Nordboard scores. Kind of gamify it, 18-year-old boys want to compete with everything. It's gamifying Absolutely. It, right? I love it. Absolutely. Like, they will fight over their Nordboard scores. But that's just because they want to compete in literally anything. You can have them do anything and they'll compete with each other for it. And, you know, they want to be at the top of the leaderboard. So for force plates, for instance, if we jump every Monday, I always post the previous Monday scores on that Monday. So as they jump, they're literally like, what did you get last week? Like, you have that's to do last idea. week. That's a great idea. Yeah, that's really good, actually. That's it's the thought. easiest thing again for that's all. That's all football players want to do, and you can make them get into anything. Like even and I, I understand that I ask a lot from them by wearing a catapult vest, jumping on the force plate. I, I ask a lot from them. I, I can't say I don't. So we had heart rate monitors this year. Last year at Maryland, I had like eighty rolling like day one. I had to explain what these were, how to put them on. They're like, we really have to wear these things here. I waited like two weeks to start to put them on. And I started by only putting them on like high risk guys. And so they see other kids getting heart rate monitors. They're like, I want a heart rate monitor. And next thing you know, they're like, why don't I get the heart rate monitor? Why can't I run that test? And it's like, well, this is why. Like, And if you're not compliant, I won't let you run it. It's like uh, it's like jealous siblings or something. A thousand percent. To- <laughs> it's like Christmas Day. <laughs> trying, to, trying to run the household except it's 80 oversized human males. Yes. <laughs> kind of like what Sam's saying, right, Coach? It's like that stuff is not cheap, I'm sure. Right. And if somebody's getting it, like, you know, it's like fear of being left out too a little bit, yeah. you know. And you also, like, that shows that you're important. You know, they're putting resources in you. Um, I had another uh, question here. Um, what's an ideal balance for sports science? I think there's just so much data available and resources. Uh, so I love this question. How do you balance – or prioritize data that you present to coaching staff and then your f- performance staff. So how do you kind of delineate who gets what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my performance staff, like me, it's like we're a four-headed monster, right? It's me, it's Tori Becton, uh, Donald, and Brad, our, our new dietitian. And so the four of us are best friends. We're in communication all of the time. And so I trust them with more information because they ask the questions and they need more information. Like they care how many explosive efforts a guy is getting because that means something to our training or how we're going to progress them the next day. And I'm lucky to have an amazing athletic training staff that understands this language already. And so I came into a program where like we have good understanding of what these metrics are. So they get way more detailed reports. They're going to get all the force plate reports, the Nord board reports, all the reports. The football coaches only get catapult data. Their report is super color-coded Um, one of my favorite metrics that I use has been percentage of game load. So like, I'll be like, Hey, today was 85% of a, what a football game typically is. And that's the easiest metric of all time, or just using time as a metric. Like my football coach reports have almost like more football coach metrics than they have catapult metrics. It has practice periods, it has team periods, it has time on feet, and then it will have player load. So they get so much less information because right. all I need them to know is who took more reps today, who sprinted more, who might need to be backed off tomorrow. If a coach asks a question and wants to know, 
more details or like maybe how they did at practice in other ways or like what their other tests are showing. Like I have that information if a coach wants it or needs it, but I don't give that to them up front because they'll like that doesn't matter to them. Mm-hmm. It only matters if it matters. And and so I think part of my job too is like balancing my ego. Like I run all these cool tests. I want to give everyone the report. But if they're not at a stage where they're ready for it or they need to know it, they almost it's going to waste your time giving it to them. And so like that's that's hard for me sometimes to be like, I want to send everyone this cool fourth plate report. It's like not everybody needs it. I have a, a random question. Yeah. You just you just made me think question a little deeper on this one. So how would you contextually uh, present a question or I, I'd say like uh, maybe you got an athlete that from the data that shows that they're just not fit or in shape or they're lagging behind in their performance. Mm-hmm. But it's not just, you know, it's not just that they're not strong enough, whatever. They just, they're not in great shape. Mm-hmm. So how do you, you know, form that conversation and that data and that report and talk to the athlete about they need to do more? How would you do that? Yeah. So, you know, I probably show the athletes more of the reports than I actually show the coaches. Like, oh, okay. like there are times or a return, say there's a return to play case where a kid is like, hey, I, I still don't feel like I'm ready. I'll like literally sit him down and show him one of my dashboards and be like, hey, look at where your jump was in January and look at where your jump is now. And like, look at how you've trended up or like whatever the metric might be. Or if they detrained yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Right? Or, or if you have a kid, the same situation, or if you have a kid who has, who everything has been decreasing, you know, they're more intimate with the technology. They use it every day. I probably talk to them more about it than I talk to their coaches. And like, if I run a Nordboard test with a kid, like I'll sit there for two minutes and I'll explain to him like where he's sitting. Like my goal as a sports scientist is for them to be like, oh, I'm at 9%. That's good. I'm under 10. Like, I don't even want to have to tell them that. I want them to know that. They'll be like, oh, like I'm, I'm here today. This is better than last time. Or, oh man, that's worse than last time. And that to me, can be like a great way to open up some conversation and be like, hey, look, your, your scores are going down. Your strength is good. Your power is good on the force plate. It might be a conditioning thing. How have you been recovering? Or right. what have you been doing on the weekends? Like, I think that's what opens up conversation with athletes. Is and, and they, I think, are better at the tech than the coaches because they're around it all the time and they understand it. They wear it. They, you know, they hear me talk about it more than their football coaches do, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think... Um, I think the one, one thing I hear too that I like is that you've got to empower these athletes and not just always be, you know, doing everything for them. You know, at some point you've got to put the, the ball in their court, so to speak. But here's where you're at. Here's what's been going on. Here's what I see happening. Here's what need you, you need to start doing if you want to move, get better or whatever, yeah. or be, be healthier, whatever that conversation is. You've got to, at some point, you've got to put it back in their corner, make them look in the mirror, right? And you got because here at Texas, right, or wherever, you've got the resources and staff, but then you've got to get your your butt out there and work some too, you know. Yeah, and that's I think that's something I want to. I've always been able to want to do with the team is like Whooper Aura, one of these like you know tracking sleep tracking. That's data that I almost never have to see, and I think sometimes as like sports scientists, we're like if we are not in control of all the data, the data doesn't matter. Like I'd rather just teach the kids how to use an aura ring or whoop band and, you know, show them some interventions. And then like you take it. I don't have to see your data necessarily. Like I want to empower them to know how to use some of these texts. Like I don't think it just has to feed to my smarter base report for it to be yeah. 
affecting the team, if that makes sense. Like I, I, I want empowering them to do the things they have to do is, is just as important in sports science as it is for me to track their body weight every day. I think this is interesting because we always seem to talk about the challenges moving forward as an industry. It's like right now we're almost talking about the advantages of like, you know, society and how, you know, where the generations are at right now. Like I feel like sports science is gaining a huge advantage. I mean, there's an app for everything. Yeah. All these kids have cell phones. They know how to use all these apps and everything. So it's like, well, what's another tool? It's just another app. Yeah. You know, and I'm not trying to plug whoop or anything, but you're you're right. I mean, it is as easy. Like I have one and it's either you're red, yellow, or green. Green, you're good. Red, you probably need to take a nap, you know, and it's like, uh, you know, it shouldn't be something that you babysit them on. And yeah. it'd be, it would be really cool if they could, you know, stay on it. I agree. And I don't know. I just think sometimes we get too caught up with what data stream am I getting? It's like, I, if I teach you how to use... I don't know, even look at your Apple Watch and look at your sleep stuff if you sleep in it. Like, if I can teach yeah. you how to use that effectively, I don't care if I see the data. I want to I poke the bear here a little bit, Coach oh, Joe. I love it. Go for um, it. She, I, I follow you on social media. Uh-huh. And you know you, I like you, poking bears. I know. You, you posted <laughs> something that really just resonated with me. I think it was last week about, um, you know, if all we do is just track data, then we kind of we, we kind of lose that coaching ability. There's a book called Unplugged. And it Andy goes, Galpin? Yes. Yeah. I read the book. The book was I was I was reading the book, Coach Joe, just to and say I'm just to learn more about technology. But what I got from the book was, don't rely so much on technology because then you start to lose a feel for your own body and how you can kind of push the boundaries in performance. Speak into that. Is it is there too much collection? Like get into that a little bit. Yeah, I guess my the the reason I posted that because again I just love I just love poking bears hello ground yeah yep. absolutely um <laughs> and and i was thinking about this the other day there's so many like companies now that like automate sports science and there are so many like if i'm just like watching a force plate test for the day or you never know when like a test is is poorly uh, like poorly executed by your athletes right like a, a, a computer software might not necessarily like even like get rid of that so th- i'll tell you a quick story um so like Three weeks ago, I'm flying back from New York and my flights get canceled. It's a total disaster. I have to fly in on Tuesday. So I miss our morning PRPs. And my interns send me the data and all the tagged catapult data. And I'm like, cool, I'll write my reports on the airplane coming back. So they're done by the time I get to the afternoon run. So my interns tagged one of the periods as special teams. And this PRP happened to be like two hours long. Mm-hmm. And so I send an email to our head football coach that said we did special teams. And I'm talking to one of the football players and, and you know, it made sense. They ran a lot of high speed yards. Like, I'm like, okay, yeah, that made sense. Okay, we had some cover units out there. I'm talking to one of the running backs. I'm like, you guys did special teams today? He's like, we would never do special teams in seven on. And I'm like, my robot ass just typed this report out to our head coach, just purely based on what the data said. Right. And I said we did special teams. Like, I'm going to be embarrassed about this for, like, the next 10 years of my life. I'm going to, like, wake up in the middle of the night and be like, Sam, do you remember when you just blindly typed right. special teams? And and so, like, it's stuff like that where, like, take the extra time to, like, watch the practice or, like, go through the data. If you are so, like you know, distant from it that you can't, you're not watching the athletes jump or do their Nordboard tests or, you know, you're not watching practice, you might like report on something that's not true 
because you weren't there. But it doesn't seem like based on the data, it doesn't seem out of left field that that might have happened. And I think you miss so much human error because like, again, like the jumps or the Nord board, like a kid might, um, the kid, the, ha- the kid's hamstring might cramp on the test and he might lean to one side. He's totally fine. Just, okay, maybe we'll just retest you another day. If you're not paying attention to stuff like that, yeah, you're going to absolutely miss it. You're going to say, hey, this kid is deficient in this or, or, hey, the team did special teams today. And then I'm literally, I'm going to be embarrassed about this for the rest of my life. And so my intern, my interns heard that story. I'll, ne- I'll never let them forget it either. Got to have that good, you got to have a good coach's eye, like you said, and you got to be present and know kind of the, how to read the, the situation besides just looking at a report. Yeah. So. yeah, I don't know. And the more we automate, I think the m- more we lose that connection to our jobs. Yeah, so good. Yeah, I feel like that affects, you know, even coaches too. There was, um, when I was interning with baseball, um, I was sitting there with the the head strength guy at the time, uh, Steven, and he was like, oh, there's a, there's a job with, I, w- I won't say the team, there's a job with this team in their minor league system. And one of the pros, it was December, so one of the, the pros were back working out with us. And one of the pros walked in and he was like, Joe, don't do it. And I was like, whoa, why not? And he goes, they're all in like this system where like all the workouts are just uploaded by someone at the top. You can't adjust it. And like every six months we get a new strength coach because he was with that club at the mm-hmm. time. And he's like, he's like, they come in, they hate their life. All their, their, their role is basically just come in and turn the lights on and, and stay with this this uh, automated system. And and it's like, you know, call me old fashioned, but hiring somebody every six months is probably not good practice. Yeah. But um but yeah, I, f- I feel like we just can almost get like, not too reliant, it's almost like a crutch. You know, like technology can almost be like a crutch sometimes. We're like, oh, we can just press a button and we're good, you know? Um, it's just interesting. One thing is like what you and Sam are both saying, which I hear and I love, is just the art of coaching. Yeah. Like if you take that out, like why am I doing this? Right, because then I'm just, a cr- I'm just crunching numbers yeah. and looking at spreadsheets. But at the end of the day, I think what lights all of us up, anybody in this industry, whatever role you're in, it's the human element. Sam, like, I mean, that's so yeah. good. You've got to have the human element, the contact, the the relationship. And what I heard you say, you, a big part of your, there's a book by Dan Pink called uh, To Sell is Human. Mm-hmm. That's the name of it. And it's, he said, we're all in sales today, basically, right? So you've got to know Whatever that technology is, you got to know it front, backwards, upside down, all around, so you can poke holes in it, know the good, the bad. But also, you you may talk to, and, and I've seen this happen, you may have five athletes you talk to that like this one piece, but man, this one piece, all of a sudden, this is the one thing, for whatever reason, that this athlete likes, and it gets the best out of them. And knowing you would know yeah. that, but you wouldn't know that if you didn't work closely with them yeah. to get that 1% out of them. So I really like what both you guys are saying there. It's good. Yeah, and I, I, have, I have a question. So um, I've, I've listened to some previous podcasts you've done, and I, I think you kind of started more in the medical field, right? Or that's what kind of what you're leaning towards. Mm-hmm. So there's a question um, our last guest posed, and I, I kind of I'm stealing it from him because I think it'd be kind of cool to, to get your take on it. So what he asked on during that podcast is, are we sport coaches that are working in performance, or are we performance coaches working more towards a medical model? So where do you think we are now, and uh, and where do you think we're going? Yeah, I actually love this question. Um, I think earlier in my career, I'm absolutely with you that I was in the medical model like, and just trying to improve performance that way. Um, at Stanford, we got all of our buy-in from return to play. 
So we had a really crazy built-out return-to-play system. It was really easy to quantify and say, hey, this is what this guy is doing on, like, day one of his linear progression, pass-fail based on, like, years of data that we collected. And so I worked very closely with return-to-play, and that's where we got all of our initial buy-in. And to your point, I also – I've come from the the PT and strength and conditioning backgrounds. And so that's – I think if you asked me this two years ago, I've, I'm, I'm there. I'm in the medical model. Now I think – The really cool thing about sports science is that the practitioners are taking it in the directions that they're interested in. And so like all of us, if there's, you know, I have a lot of good friends who we've all kind of come up as these like applied sports scientists. We all run our programs completely differently and they're based off of skill set and interest. And so if you ask me now, I'm a sport coach that wants to get better at performance where like when I look at things now... I'm like, okay, you know, so many things in strength and conditioning can get us to where we need to be as long as we're smart about our progression. Um, If you have an amazing athletic training staff, there's just less that I have to worry about in that world. That doesn't mean I'm not always working towards making better return to play protocols. But now with like the athletes we have at Texas too, it's like, what are the defining physical characteristics of what makes these kids the best football players in the country? And how can I help us become better at our sport through physiology? That is way more of what I'm interested in now. I want to know what my what makes my mm-hmm. wide receivers run the best routes. I want to know what makes my D linemen get off the ball faster than other D linemen. Like that's the stuff that I find more interesting now. And so I think there's such a huge bridge between um, sport analytics and performance analytics that we like haven't really figured out yet. Um, and the best part about Texas is I think we have really high level people in a lot of these departments. So I can go sit with player personnel and be like, how do you rank your guys in terms of f- technical football skill? And how does that match up with my with my physical skill? Because, mm-hmm. you know, physical is one quarter of what makes these kids good football players. So how can I not only diagnose the physical part? What about the technical part? What about the tactical part? What about the psychological part? And so that's really like if you had to ask me like what my ultimate department looks like one day, like I want to go in that direction more mm-hmm. so than I want to like dive into specific return to play. So I think that's been a shift over the years for me. That's an awesome question. Yeah, I think I, you guys should steal that and ask that to everybody. No, and I was I was glad you were coming on like a sport sport scientist because it'd almost be cheating with an athletic trainer. I mm-hmm. think I think they'd probably lean more towards a medical model. Uh, answer there but with with strength coaches even like I think about some of the folks on our staff downstairs it's like some of them spend a lot of time at practice and then some of them spend a lot of time doing recovery and almost in that gray area with athletic trainers and stuff mm-hmm. you know and return to play you know so yeah. it's, it's I, I think like, you're right it's interest no that's good stuff Sam and Joe I think the one thought I was you know as you were talking Sam it's like the in, in my simple mind I'm always like you know, sports med or the medical model is always like risk averse. Like how can we mm-hmm. keep from, right? It's kind of like, how can we keep the car from driving off the bridge, yeah. you know, at 120 miles an hour? Whereas performance models a little bit more like, let's push the boundaries, mm-hmm. right? And find the edges. Yeah. But I do think, you know, I don't, I, I think this is just how I view life, like the extremes, right? I think extreme performance where people are at risk, and getting injured and hurt or, or near death, that's bad. But also wrap them in bubble wrap and not training them hard yeah. and get them to adapt to a high-level performing you know, environment. 
you're going to get them hurt too. So at both positions, I think the medical model extreme, you put them in a bad spot too, but also performance. So I do think there's going to have to be some collaboration and integration there, kind of what you were saying. I like kind of that, that visual. I'm a visual person too of how you kind of explain that was good stuff. So. Yeah. That was from Coach Eric McMahon, so I got to give him credit. Yeah, I got to yeah, give him love. Really I, I don't want to. I don't want to steal his work. <laughs> well, hey, to kind of change gears a little bit, you know, just obviously following you and talking to you today, you're very driven and forward-thinking person. What are some long-term projects you're working on, and where do you hope uh, or see those going over the next couple of years for Sam? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, I'm trying to be like slightly more where my feet are which is good for me right now which does not mean I don't have 7,000 projects on my brain at all times I've been I've been trying to do a good job this year (laughs) just being like hey I need you to like do a good job at like camp this year so like last year during fall camp or I guess in season I I wrote out a 300 page like intern curriculum manual like that was my like 2022 project um and so, like, my 20, I'm excited to get into camp because then, for whatever reason, that gives me a little bit more free time to kind of, like, work into some of these, like, next projects. So, I think, like, the next big one that I, I kind of want to check off is, like, I, I want to build out, I'm always trying to refine my baseline testing, and I want to kind of refine my baseline testing and build out more tests that are a little bit more position-specific. So, like, are there different, and not necessarily, like, when I say position-specific, still general Mm-hmm. In the sense, but like, you know, everybody runs, you know, 10 yard starts, 10 yard flies with the lasers. Um, are there different things we can add? Can we do some like curve running tests? Can we do some angle cutting tests? Like, are, I want to build out my like field testing protocols to see if like maybe some of those traits are the ones that actually carry over to football playing a little mm-hmm. bit more. So I do think, you know, over the next few years, you know, I'm interested in companies like Breakaway Data because they do some more like really position specific biomechanical analysis because that is not my forte at all. I could turn the Dari on. That's like the extent of me being a biomechanist. Um, and I'm not even good at turning that thing on some days. So um, I've been looking into more companies that can help me with like video analysis because I oh, think okay. I think that's a, a hole in my game. Um, you know, cause you can have the catapult or have these timing gates and see how athletes move, but can I do a better job of breaking down decel, change of direction, like specific, you know, angles that a receiver is going to cut or a receiver's or a running back or even a linebacker. Um, so I've been diving into some more of the position specific. So that was a good follow-up question to your question. Um, so those are some long-term things. Um, you know, athletic training, we're always working on, like, we have really good lower body return to play protocols so we're working on some upper body stuff because i don't know if there's a ton of upper body testing in strength and conditioning just in general that's a good point um so those are like i guess those are actually very much both ends of those spectrums but those are those are big like 2023 off season or call it whatever in season projects to hopefully roll out in 2024 off season now joe i did see she did apply for her phd I did, yeah. So uh, I'm, you're crazy. I am, yeah. There's, <laughs> That's awesome, though. There's that. Um, yeah, it might start in like three weeks. So uh, no br- biggie. No, no biggie. So I, you know, if I'm going to be stressed for the next four years, I might as well start in. No, you know, I saw that, and I thought that was very. Uh, I'm not only huge, but just you know, inspiring. So I'm excited. Um, I'm probably going to do something on like practice periodization or like GPS data because uh, that's kind of my my probably biggest interest is like I love the whole thought of periodizing 
football practice um, and how we can make it more effective. Um, but, but yeah, I, uh, yeah. So. I remember I, I was having a conversation with Coach Brian Mann, who's now he's went from Miami. He's at Texas A and M. I don't know if you guys know that, but yeah. he's uh, he's an Aggie now, so we won't hold that against him too much. But um, he was telling me about his his PhD when he basically sat for his doctorate and had to. Uh, what does he have to defend your, your dissertation? dissertation. dissertation. Yeah. He yeah. thought that his life was going to end. <laughs> That's what I, everyone tells me. It's like the most miserable four years of their lives. Right. So um, anyway, I'm 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 excited for you and uh, as you continue to go down that that journey and path. So I know you'll get it done. So. I'm excited. I think the weakness. You know, I come from the applied side, so I think mm-hmm. that makes the weakness in my game research and doing research, like effectively doing research like an academic standard. And so mm-hmm. I think that's something that I need to work on, and I need to fill some of those gaps. Um, I mean, that's that's the, the new, I mean, we're, we're just like we're in this kind of era of data collection technology. That's the new, I mean, I think we've, we've got more people getting ed, more education, and, you know, they're getting really specialized in what they're doing. Yeah. And, and I know uh, what was uh, does John Waggle does he have his PhD? I yes, can't. he definitely yeah, so, I does. I mean, you're seeing more of yes. these roles that they got to be able to speak again. You're you're not really let's just say it. I don't know if I'm saying it accurately. You're not really a purist, right, or a specialist. You're not mm-hmm. just speaking just the one thing exactly. Yeah. But in these bigger roles, like in sports science, you've got to you've got to understand a lot about a bunch of different areas, yeah. you know. And so you can have your specialist area maybe you know, but then you've got to be able to speak to those areas too Absolutely. to be to be effective. So. Yeah, and I think the partnership with academics is huge. And I think I do think the PhD will end up being the certification in sports science one day. I think that'll be like the track that people go yeah. down because I do think like again, I don't think I'm a super well-rounded sports scientist because I don't think I have that research background. Like my masters, I didn't publish. So I need to go through that process of like learning how to publish research and understanding like the standards of doing academic yeah. research. So I mean, it gives you more lanes too. Yeah. Like it's you and I, again, Coach Joe, real quick, just to di- digress for a second. I keep hearing this in you, Sam, today, which I really like. You just have this ability in you to kind of keep reinventing yourself, and that I've kind of seen that through your story today, and I think that's so important, and especially. In, and there's a there's a book I read last year. It was talking about what you're seeing in careers, not just in sports. Is that you're seeing a change in how you progress in your your job or career? So basically, instead of it being a career ladder, the the picture is a career lattice. I mean, you may go over here and take a role here that's up, come across, go down, take a role here that maybe is different. But you're building up these different experiences and getting. Uh, expertise in different areas and so at some point you end up getting this crazy big job but they want you because not because of your degrees but because of your experience mm-hmm. and knowledge in so many different areas to help them face the, the challenges and solve solution or problems and have solutions to what they need and you're seeing this change in, in industry now and in, in not just sports but in corporate too it's kind of cool yeah it's funny I, i've talked about this story before and i just think it's such a good assignment but we did it at ucla uh, at our internship program and it was we had to write like our our life philosophy our training philosophy and our coaching philosophy and i mean it's when you go read read it back it's like embarrassing what you thought your training and coaching philosophies were but like my life philosophy has always been to like push the edges of human performance 
Like if someone asked me like what I want to do, like that's what I want to do. I had no idea sports science was going to fall into that. I had no idea, you know, I was going to end up being the nutritionist for the football team. It just, those roles kind of fell into what my goal has always been. So, you know, I can't say that this, I'm going to be a sports scientist in 10 years from now. I don't know what that path is going to look like or what that title is going to look like, but I know what I want, like my daily efforts to be towards. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like, I'll, Coach Lynn, he was the best internship coordinator, and I think that was the best assignment. And, UCLA? Yeah. I've heard such good things about Coach, Coach yeah. Lynn. I've never met him personally. He's amazing, but yeah, yeah. That's good stuff. So, yeah, I kind of wanted to expand a little bit on this, too, because so you, you mentioned, you know, a few projects you want to work on. You're getting your PhD. I mean, as one, one person can only be somewhere, you know, only so much. And, I mean, it's not like you can get an army of 20 interns. It's pretty hard to do, but— in Europe and Australia, they're building out these massive sports science staffs. And I think rugby is a great example. I mean, you look at, I've, I've seen like a, a photo of like their staff. It's like, I mean, it's bigger than some of our coaching staffs here. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you, do you see that model eventually kind of coming over as technology grows? And then there's, there's things that you as the head sports scientist wants to work on. You're like, I need like a tech engineer. Cause I'm, I'm not, I'm not an engineer. Like that's yeah. just not what I do. I need a data person because I need more time to oversee this and communicate with people and communicate with the coaches and all that. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think um, if you think about where nutrition was like five years ago, mm-hmm. where you had maybe a dietitian for every team. Now every team has, you know, a dietitian. They have two fellows that like Gatorade pays for. Um, and so the staffs are just so much bigger now because we see the need for it and everyone has it. I think sports science is like five years behind that. We're like right now, five years ago, teams... A handful of teams had sports scientists. Texas was probably one of the only departments. And now how many how many teams have sports scientists? We have six. Like, it's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I do think that, you know, if I had it, like, my way perfectly, I'd have one assistant that's an applied sports scientist who, you know, can coach on the floor, can run tests for me. I'd have another assistant who's, you know, data science. And I think that's going to start to split in this field, too, where you're going to see people who are more into the applied side who might go into the, you know, the applied sports science route. You might see the data scientists who are going to go computer science slash Ph.D. routes. And you're going to have people who come out specialized in both because, like, I had to be a generalist mm-hmm. and like where you're trying to talk to the coach, you're trying to plug in the catapult unit like you're doing all of it because you have no help. And now, like, I have interns. We have a whole department here where, like. I ask, I don't know if you guys know Alex, like I go ask Alex in the applied sports department if I need anything like super nerdy. He's a wizard at coding um, and I can't do that. That's, I don't have the time to be as good. Yeah. Yeah, So I think departments are going to grow just like nutrition departments grew, just like sports science, or excuse me, strength and conditioning departments grew. Where like, you're going to have, you're going to have to have a fit of each from tech, from applied sports science. That would be, that would be amazing. There's a phenomenal chapter, Joe, to your question uh, in the book, the Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. And the, the chapter is so fascinating. But to your point, Sam, it's called uh, The Day of the Master Builder is Dead. And I completely agree. You're getting, you know, so use that metaphor, right? You go back to building out homes. Mm-hmm. You used to have one contractor. He did, he, he you know, he A-framed it. He put up the drywall, electrician. He did everything, right? Poured the concrete, you know, painted but now everything's becoming so complex, right? Uh, things used to be complicated, but now it's so complex, meaning they're so specific. Uh, 
in those different areas that you've got to have this like almost like a, a team of people that come mm-hmm. in. They're the best at what they do. But again, you're going to see there's going to be a shift, and we're already seeing it away from this top-down leadership model to more of a team of teams approach where mm-hmm. we're all these like high-powered, you know, soldiers that, that are that are great at what we do, but we don't have ego. We just want to win, mm-hmm. right? We want to be the best we can be, and we don't. We're not. We're not worried about who gets the spotlight, who gets the credit. We just want to be the best at what we do. And so I do. I think that that's that's intriguing. You bring that up that we are definitely headed in that direction. To your point too, Joe. Yeah. And another question I have, um, you know, we kind of already talked about the communication piece and, and the buy-in and, you know, I, th- I think buy-in is great and it's being consistent. I, I love how you use competition to, to stay consistent with that. Um, I, I think my overall question though is, have you ever had to have a hard, really, really hard conversation with an athlete that, I don't know, just maybe is upset with the dad, upset with something and you have to you know, they just kind of have to face reality. I mean, what, what's probably the hardest conversation you've had with either a coach or an athlete? That's a good question. You know, I think, I'll say this. I think having a female on football staffs sometimes, like, and not even necessarily being a female, but, like, I have obviously a slightly different personality or a slightly different, like, you know, I didn't play football. There's no ego with me in football because I didn't play football. So, like, a a football player is never going to, you know, see me in that light, right? So I've always been able to connect pretty well with the guys in a different way. So a lot of times when the the guys are emotional, they'll come to me for stuff like that. So I can't say I've had, like, a hard conversation where I've had to, like, explain the data. I will say I have gotten into some fights with guys on like, I need you to wear your vest. And they're like, I'm not going to wear my vest. And I'm like, no, no, like, we're not going to play this game. Like, you're going to put your catapult vest on. And this is why. And I am like, not opposed to like, explain them exactly why. Like, listen, if you don't have your catapult data on, if you don't have your catapult on, and you, you know, you don't wear it today, and you have a few really hard camp practices, I don't know. And maybe you need to be pulled out next week, but I'll never know because you didn't wear your data. So not only are you like potentially screwing yourself over on your own averages, you could be screwing the team over because maybe everybody's average is really high. Maybe we have to have some type of intervention and we don't have it because you don't have your catapult vest on. So I have no yeah, problem like diving into that yeah, if I need to. Um, and I think that's the strength coach in me that I have no problem sitting a guy down. I'm not there to be their friend, you know, when it comes to stuff like that. Like, there's a reason I have you put this on, and it's important for you. It's important for your health, and, like, I need you to do this. So I've definitely had those. Um, And I think those actually build up buy-in for when they do come to you, and they're like, hey, when they want to talk about their data, they're in a great mood, whether it's good or bad. They're looking at numbers. They're happy then. Um, And I will say, like, I think any time you meet a new coaching staff – there's definitely always going to be hard conversations, right? Like they're going to test you anytime you come in anywhere and you meet football coaches and there's like they're like, who's this five one girl walking around our weight room? Like, what do you mean she's telling me about what we did at practice today? Like, there's always a test period where they're like going to ask me some more in depth questions and make sure like I know, you know, my shit. That'll be yeah. my one curse for the day. How That's was that? all right. That's all right. good. Yeah. No, people so. are going to test you. I mean, uh, to your point, um, definitely. But again, what I love about what you're saying, it's so refreshing. You don't, you didn't play football, but you have a perspective that's fresh and that these guys don't understand. But here's the thing, Joe, she ain't backing down, you know, and it tells me that you love your job and you care about the people you're taking care of. And at the end of the day, you may not like what you're saying, 
but it's hard to deny that, you know, as a young as a young athlete today. So it's good stuff. I like that angle too, though. No one wants to be the guy that screws the team. Yeah. Yeah. Put it back put on them. Yeah. You got it, to right. Put it in that. Put it in that perspective. And they're like, ooh. If I'm that guy next week, that could be really bad. Yeah, it's like you could not test, but then when you're in pain in two weeks and you're like, Sam, can you help me? I'm like, nah. Well, the best teams, I mean, yeah, you guys know this, right? Sorry. The best teams have a culture of accountability, yeah. right? You're just going to let it slide, right? You either are creating it or you're allowing it, yeah. right? And so it's that simple when you look at culture. And I mean, I've been a part of cultures where there's a high level accountability, to your point, Sam, and it's great. It's not always fun. It's not always, you know, uh, bubble gum and cotton candy and fun conversations, right? But if you want to be a great team culture and you want to win, there's got to be accountability. And to your point, uh, this is just a new landscape when you've got to look at stress on mm-hmm. these athletes. If not, we could we could mess up the team. So absolutely, uh, it's good stuff. Uh, kind of getting close to the end here. So bring us in, give some handles here at the end, Coach Sam. Not everybody here has great resources. And we're kind of circling back to your first part of your story today. They don't have budgets. They don't have maybe the, all the technology, the access to that, or the staffing, right, to your point. What would you recommend to those out there who don't have that, the, the resources, time, the budget, the money, and support to start a sports site? So where would they start to ball on a budget? Where yeah, would we go? I love this question. Um, go buy a body weight scale. I don't care if you use Excel or whatever you use to, you know, put your data in. Go buy a scale. Go buy some lasers and go buy some old school tendos. And I think that's really all you need. Like if you can effectively track body weight, you can effectively track sprint times, you can effectively track bar velocity, you're hitting auto regulation, you're hitting body weight hydration changes, long term body comp changes, and you're hitting, you know, all of the fancy speed testing we want to do in in three easy steps. Um, so I think the, you know, you invest in a good person to handle all that stuff. And then as you find need, then or they you, could do it themselves. Or they can do it like. themselves. And how often would you body weight? I mean, it again, totally depends on your goals, right? So right. sometimes we do three days a week. We're getting in a camp. We're going to do twice a day and we're going to get, mm-hmm. I mean, think about all the things you're getting from twice a day in camp. You're going to get, you know, changes from pre-practice to post-practice. Then if you test the next morning, you're going to get the changes from post-practice to pre-practice. Are you putting back the weight that you lost and you're getting another checkpoint in. So you can like, there's so much free data in body weight. Like there's so much free sports science. And that's probably the one thing that we like, man, back in the day, we'd delete columns to get the Excel PDF to work. Can you believe that? It's like, yeah. I'll just delete that column so I can right. fit my next row on this it. on this PDF. I, I still, I think, what, to simplify that, I love that answer. It goes right back to what she said earlier, Joe, about what problem are you trying to solve, right? You've got to know that. I remember during COVID, I, we did all these Zooms, and I ended up getting on a call with Hitoshi. I think I'm saying his name right. He's the strength coach for the USTA, the Tennis Association in Orlando. Here's how you word it. He said, you got to figure out what your measuring stick is. Everybody's measuring stick's different. Like once you figure that out, and it takes a while to kind of figure that out, then you can start to put your collection and process in Mm -hmm. place and start to make adjustments and changes that actually enhance performance. So again, what's your problem? Then figure out your measuring stick and then start tracking from there. So, Coach, I think we're about to end here. Uh, Anything else you got for Sam? No, this was great. Um, Really quick, too, um, if our listeners wanted to follow you, where could they find you? Awesome. Um, If you want to watch me drop barbells on my head, you can go to my Instagram. 
<laughs> Seriously? You so, drop the barbell on your head? Yeah, that's usually just oh. bad lifting videos and then the occasional, I guess, pot stirring quote. So uh, that's Sam Contorno. Uh, and then I think my Twitter is like Sam underscore Contorno. So really exciting stuff going on on those two platforms. Fun last question, though, Joe. We got to <laughs> do this. So uh, we'll put those in the show notes, okay, by the way. Um, she's officially an Austinite. Where you got your what's your favorite food spot? You got a spot again? You're not okay, getting paid yes. for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What so, you got for us? Uh, pokey pokey. That's not bad. Coach, you been there? It's not bad. I have. Joe, you I been order there? it like no. probably like once a week. Like it's disgusting how much money I've spent on on that place. What's your favorite go to there? What uh, is it? I like. I get three of them because it's super excessive. I get this, but it's like big gyms, like the spicy one that right. has like the jalapenos. Okay. I get one of the ones with salmon, and then the wasabi. Those three. I eat, like, you shouldn't eat that much raw fish at once, I Say don't Say it again, poke, poke? Poke, poke, yeah. All right. There's, like, two locations, I think. Joe, you been? I've been. It's solid? It's solid. It's, like, super basic. It's, like, they literally give you just, like, a tub of fish. I've been spoiled by my past. I used to get poke in Hawaii. <sighs> oh, you yeah. Just so you don't answer. Yeah, I'm being a little... That's cheating. I'm being a little uh, <laughs> yeah, you snobby my right now. No, it's, it's, it's good. It's good. My wife and I used to go there a bunch. Well, good stuff. All the food in Austin is right, amazing. Right. That's a, my I real know. answer. I put on a little weight over the summer, so I need to get myself back in that's shape. That's what the so. fall is for. <laughs> it's it's right. fall camp for us. Right. That's right. Um, well, Coach Sam, thank you so much, thank Joe. You guys it's been, for it's been me. real. Yeah, uh, I can totally see, uh, you know, I'd seen you on social media and finally get to meet you in person and, and do this interview. You were awesome. You got a, definitely got an edge to you. I appreciate the that. The thing I love you. about you, Coach Sam, there's this, this piece of you that just stay curious. And I think we've lost some of that in the profession today. Uh, and I think you keep that. And I know I was definitely inspired today to keep growing and learning. So thank you for what you're doing at I Texas. I appreciate you. Thank you for what you're doing in our profession and making all of us better. So uh, that's all I got. Joe, anything else? Uh, good luck this season. Beat get Bama. Thank beat you. Bama. Beat Bama. Get us to the playoffs. Right. Beat OU. One game at a time, Coach. But uh, Run the we, table. Anyway, that's <laughs> it from the team behind the team here in Austin, Texas. You guys have a great fall, and we'll see you on the flip side. Hook them. Hook them. Hook them. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Team Behind the Team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mabe, and thanks so much for tuning in.